All right, welcome to Dragon's Cast, uh, post-game edition. Nothing we got a chance to do one since the CAA game started and not in the New Year. So, Happy New Year, guys. Uh, not a great start to this year so far, but uh, the most recent game at home against William Mary was a tough loss. Uh, I don't know what the latest, uh, if you guys have heard anything on what is going on with Troy Harper. He took a bad injury after the game was probably lost already. But any initial thoughts, Marshall, on how uh, we've started off this CAA play? I'll say I'm actually decently encouraged, if only by the fact that in each of our four losses, even dating back to the Temple game, but focusing just on CAA, our three CAA losses, it was a six-point game or less under the eight-minute mark. And I think in two of those, under the six-minute mark. So despite losing by double digits each time, they weren't blowouts from start to finish. We were there... I think it's indicative of a young team that clearly has uh, some room to grow. Uh, I don't know if these would still be losses if Kirk and uh, Zach Walton were playing. They, they'll certainly continue to be losses if Troy is out for a while. But just focusing on the three games played, I, I am, it sucks to lose. I am decently encouraged by the gameplay itself. I think Bill made a face during that comment, so he has he has something to say. Bill, I'm just surprised from what I'm hearing from you, Marshall. But that's uh, I mean that's good to hear from you, I guess. Um, <laughs> the Bill's usually the John Gruden. Marshall just took his thunder over here. I don't know what Bill's going to no, say. No, I mean my 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 biggest concern of the team is is just the defense. I mean even if we get Kirk Lee back, uh, I think we've discussed it before. Like Kirk's not going to fix the defense. He could help us with some turnover issues and um, offensive walls, but um, Defensively, we have to not give up like points in the high 80s. If we can just keep teams in like to around like 76, 78 range, we can score enough to win. But um, I don't know. At least with the last game, and I didn't see Elon, but William and Mary, we at least seemed to mix the defense up a little bit. And I didn't think the defense was that bad, even though we gave up a lot of points. I think it kind of uh, got away from us in the end. But um, that's going to need to be severely improved if we uh, if we want to get much better. Is it a realistic goal to improve the defense this year, considering, you know, we're about close to being three starters down probably? To what, fix the defense? Yeah, like I would imagine with, with uh, Zach Walton, we lost length, right? Kirk Lee, sure, he's not going to make me. Even when he comes back, it might not be a big defensive change, but we do- lost a lot of length with uh, Zach Walton. And Troy Harper is probably one of the more physical and, you know, energized defensive players out there. Uh, and he's got a lot of length. Uh, you know, he might not be as long as Zach Walton, but he plays tall. Well, if these, if, Z- if Troy's out for, you know, I don't know how long, and Zach Walton's definitely out for the entire season. Where do we see the defensive, I guess, improvements coming from? Are we expecting somebody like uh, freshman, like Cam, to improve? Or I, I don't think it's going to come from any individual players. I think it's got to be uh, schematically uh, changed up. I mean, he, he was doing – Spiker was doing some different things with some, you know, one three one press and uh, some zone. And he's, he's been doing a variety of different uh, defenses to try to mix it up. So that's at least, um, I think, having a positive effect a little bit. Uh, now just to touch on Troy Harper, though, from what Dan posted in one of his Always a Dragons articles, um, I think it was the post game for William Mary, it seemed that they were a little optimistic on Troy. I don't know if they had actually – 
done an MRI in his knee or anything yet, but it seemed like he was walking around for the autograph session afterwards. And um, it, it seemed like there was a hint in that article that he would be day to day. Yeah. And Troy's been posting nothing on, on Twitter about anything negative. It seems like he's still seems like he's ready to go from everything he's posting. Yeah, so and I think hopefully it's hopefully bad. he's okay. Cause we were really dodging big bullet if he's out. Cause it looked really bad. He's been our best player in the last eight games. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree with Bill. I think at the William & Mary game was kind of a weird game, or I think our defense was decent. Um, we just didn't make baskets that we need to make uh, to win that game. We missed. We couldn't make a three in the first half, the second half. Um, I think we caused – yes, the, the William & Mary game was the first game all year where we won the turnover battle and lost the game. Every single other game this year – we lost the turnover battle and lost the game. If we won the turnover battle, we won. It's been the single biggest stat for us in terms of um, wins and losses, predicting wins and losses as turnovers. And I think it's been a problem. And in William & Mary game, it wasn't a problem. The problem was we just couldn't make anything. Um, we shot 35% from the field. We just could not make a shot to save our life. Um, I think that uh, our big men have been, um, over the last – in the CAA games, haven't been dominant. Other than, uh, I'd like to see a lot more from Alejandro Demir. I mean, we've talked about that before. Uh, he's got a lot of potential, and he's not living up to it. Um, I think Butler was kind of a little absent last game. Um, obviously, we didn't have Tim Perry either, um, which would have helped, I think, against Nathan Knight. But, um, you know, I, I don't want to get too down, even though we're 1-3. We lost Hofstra. Was, is a really good team. Uh, we lost to them. Our defense sucked, but they're really good. We were play. We were at Northeastern. We lost that one. We beat Elon, uh, and this William and Mary game was weird. So I'm still holding out a little bit of hope, but it could have definitely would have liked a better start. Yeah, I, the Tim Perry thing is a valid point because I think with him there it would have been a different game. And if we made our shots, I think uh, we might have actually pulled away from William and Mary. I, it doesn't seem like other than Nathan Knight, they have a play, they have too many players that can actually completely take us out of the game. I mean, they were missing one of their better players too. Yeah, that's true. Who were they missing? I think Pierce was out. Is that just like another white guy that stands around the three-point line and shoots threes? <laughs> he's one of their better players. I don't know if he's their, the one guy. That, I don't know if he's their leading scorer or if he's the uh, second, but he's he's a good player. Knight, Knight makes everything go for them. If you can stop Knight, then um, you can guard their three-point shooters better. Uh, he was getting so many chippies just around the rim. Like We, we could not... We weren't boxing him out. He got 12 rebounds, four offensive rebounds. Um, he, he, he was – like, Perry could have helped out a lot against him. I would Definitely. have liked Butler to have done better. Um, yeah, I don't think you can expect too much out of Butler considering his height. But in the offensive side, you guys brought up Alejandro. We've talked about him before. I kind of want Marshall to pitch in over here because I think there's been some discussion over uh, our message chain back and forth about how Demir's not even in the – what is it, the top five bigs? To ever be a uh, that in our time at Drexel, I don't know yeah, if I, I mean, agree with that, but I, I I'd like to make I'd like you to make your case. So so here's my case. I I actually like Alahan as a player. I think we all agree that the energy doesn't seem to have been there for this latest stretch of games dating back to I guess late mid December, early in the year. I didn't notice an energy problem. Lately, it seems to be there. He still scores well. I, I think he absolutely has a place on this roster and even on other Drexel rosters. I just have a big preference for a big man who 
is physical in the post, both offensively and defensively. And the way Alahan scores is he finds space to get a shot up, but he doesn't, he's not the type of big that powers through contact. And that I think when Drexel has been, it's most successful is the type of big that we've had, whether they rely on that, they're at least capable of doing that. I look at, Rodney Williams. I look at Frank Elgar. I look at Sammy Givens. Sammy Givens, you mentioned Jimmy or James Butler a minute ago being too short. Sammy Givens was 6'5", and he was able to play much bigger than his size was. So, And, and I get not every big is going to be a dominant physical big, that, and that's fair. I just wish that to complement Alahan's game, we had a big who was capable of doing that. And I think especially on the defensive side, I think a lot of the the worry that I have with Alahan being our best big this year is especially on the defensive side. If we had Austin Williams back this year, I think a lot of that is, uh, is subsided. No, I agree. I, I agree with the energy thing with Alahan. I don't know if from a timing standpoint that had to, has to do anything with when I guess the news started circulating that uh, Korkmaz might be done at the Sixers uh, or, you know, leaving <laughs> soon. But I, what I noticed with Alahan out there in the beginning of every game, he seems into it. Then about three fouls on him that goes uncalled, and he's talking to the ref. After that, he just starts putting his head down. Um, and uh, it's it seems like he gets disheartened almost that he's not getting some of the calls. And he is getting fouled sometimes in there. Uh, and some of those calls are legit, but he seems to spend or try to get to the get in the ref's ear a lot immediately after the play to let them know, hey, what this, is, this guy was hooking me. And when he doesn't get the call the next play, next time down, he kind of uh, resigns almost from the play. But I don't know if I'm reading too much into it. But he, he does seem to get affected by some missed calls at times. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I think he second guesses himself too much. Yeah, I mean, I, I disagree a little with Marshall. I, I think he actually can score with contact. I don't think his biggest problem is not being able to, to do that. I think his biggest problem is just consistency. I mean, he he just misses he, he, wide he misses open so many chippies. He's there. He just misses. Yeah, them. he has like random terrible passes but he also has really good passes occasionally so it's just like if he could play consistently how i think we all know he can play he could be a very good offensive big man for us i don't know he's i don't think he's ever going to be like a, a defensive stopper like austin williams um it's like i it's i don't know what's going through his head so i don't know if it's you know disheartened from the calls or but what i see on the court is he doesn't execute he gets to the position he needs to get to but he doesn't execute it, and I think sometimes, and I and he hesitates. Those are the two things I see: he hesitates, mm-hmm. and he doesn't execute. And that could be a, a variety of reasons. From well, you especially see, you especially see the focus. hesitation on the three-point shot. Definitely, definitely, and I feel like it's almost cost his three-point shot a lot because it looks not as good as it was last year, right? Or am I? Mm-hmm. No, I agree, hundred percent. Lost his confidence on the three-point shot for one reason or another. I mean, I mean, for us to be a top team in the league or even, like, a good mediocre team, he needs to be good. If he's not good, then um, we only have Troy Harper and maybe Cam Winters, a freshman, who I feel like is trying to do too much out there now. Um, well, one thing I do want to bring up, and we've talked about Alhan before, but one thing I don't think we've talked about as much I, I thought was weird in this game is the rotations. Um, I noticed, and I, I felt like I said to one of you guys, um, I don't like – I understand that we got it. We we were short staffed. We got some injuries. Yeah, we got to play Coltrane, Jarvis, and and Maddie, and maybe even Tata. Sometimes we have to get him in. 
but do we have to put them all in at the same time? Like, I don't understand why we can't kind of yeah, stagger like the rotation a bit because we have very limited guys that can score here. Those rotations and... were weird, but that really didn't affect the overall score that much, if I'm remembering correctly. I, I think we were still very much in it after the minutes that those guys played together. I, I don't think the lead expanded. Yeah, I think we did that when Nathan Knight wasn't in, but once once they noticed that we didn't have a proper big in and they put Nathan Knight back in, I think it started going bad quickly and we subbed uh, subbed uh, whoever was Butler. Nathan Knight killed us right after he got the <laughs> right after he got the technical, and uh, we were only down like four or five. And he went to the bench. Uh, we didn't do anything after that, and then he came back in and then he just destroyed us. Yeah. yeah. Bill, what are your thoughts on Tadas getting destroyed? I'm always the Tadas defender here, but Tadas wasn't that bad in that game, man. I mean, especially, I know he got blocked on offense and he missed a little chippy, but I mean, he did block a shot. And I thought his defense was all right. I mean, he actually, even on that three pointer that Knight hit, I mean, I think Dan said in one of his uh, tweets that, like, I mean, the kid's shooting like under 30% from three, and he's got a 6'10 guy who's in his face. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, he hit the shot. So of, I mean, all, of all the of all, Nick, Bill, to make your case, of all the players that played that day, was Tadis not the worst, or was he? The I worst? mean, he was only in there for nine minutes. I mean, yeah, there was a, so I mean, That's unless, two more minutes unless than you, you show me that Knight dropped like twenty points and in those nine minutes that Tadis was on him, which I think you, know, I from what I remember, it was like two or th- maybe two buckets on, maybe three. I mean, uh, he didn't do any worse than anybody else. I mean, the guy had twenty five points. Nah. So maybe six were on Tadis. I don't know. I'm not picking on Tadis. Tadis wasn't the reason we lost that game, but no, no, <laughs> certainly not. I just I'm waiting for that developmental point yeah. that Bill keeps saying is going to happen with Tadis. No, I want it to come, and he's played the, like two games this year. Like, I don't get, <laughs> like what development are you expecting to happen? I, I'm not expecting much this year. The guy's getting no playing time. It's going to happen and, this summer into his junior year, and in the in the future. I mean, like I, I mean, I I'm not that I'm predicting anything crazy, but I mean. He's got a couple guys ahead of him now, too. So, I mean, I don't know how much playing time he'll get. I mean, I'm still uh, – I still think he can be a productive player at some point. I mean, I don't know how productive he'll be. But he's got Perry and Butler ahead of him, and who the hell knows what will recruit. So, But, I mean, for a guy who's not playing at all, he, came, he stepped in. I thought he looked all right. He had a tip in. He had a block shot. He didn't look completely uh, out of place out there. A lot of people are hating on him for no I reason. I like Coltrane. You know? Out of all the guys coming off the bench, I like Coltrane the best in most recent games. I think he's showing a lot of activity on defense. Yeah. I think he's got long arms. He's not making his threes as much. Uh, he, he did in the Elon game. Um, he was off this game, but he, he looks good. Um, he's got to change think, the under-jersey gear. The The baggy sleeves are, are not working. <laughs> yeah, and I concur. It's a style. It's a style. It's not but, a good style. <laughs> Doles is probably another disappointing player. Uh, from an energy standpoint, he sh- he should be playing taller. Uh, I don't get what's going on there, but uh, I actually thought he played better he as a, of late. He did okay. He did. He, did. he seems he uh, fought for the ball and he fell. You know, he, he's been playing better. He's his his energy seems to have be, be on an uptick. And you know what? I'll let it. Uh, hopefully, it continues that trajectory. Uh, quick uh, recap of the other games, guys: Northeastern, Hofstra, and Elon. I know we kind of talked about them about a little bit. Elon was our only win. Uh, and it was it was I don't think Elon really has they didn't they look pretty bad out there I got I wasn't I wasn't too impressed with their teams when their threes don't fall they they kind of live and die by it and I, I, I couldn't believe that uh, I thought that Sebring guy usually plays better against us right 
from from what I recall. He didn't seem to do much in that game. Uh, but I mean, I think they're missing their um, what's his name, Swoop. It was uh, their point guard. They don't have anybody that can penetrate. Yeah, without him, they don't have anyone who can open up those three point shooters. I mean, again, I didn't I didn't see this game, but it's just like what Knight does for Gwen and Aaron. He opens all the rest of them up. Yeah, they don't have anybody that can open. They have no big guy that plays big, and they don't have a guard that can drive. So they're relying on their three point shooters, and we suffocated them in the second half. Um, and with- yeah, I, I I didn't like our energy coming out in that game. The fact that we battled back to get it to one at halftime, and then obviously killed them in the second half. We should never be down more than a couple points to Elon in the first place this year. Right. I mean, eat Trevor John's been kind of off recently. Yeah, um, noticed. He was one of six against William Mary. He's not getting looks though. He's he's no, being, he he's he's not getting any. T- he had a couple open ones against looks. Mary. He had some looks. He had plenty of looks against Elon. He was off. Yeah. He had a couple looks. I mean, not he's not getting all wide open looks, but I mean, uh, he was hitting those shots before. He's yeah. been off. He reminds me a little bit of a uh, good old Timmy Whitworth. He needs a he needs to set up that shot. He can't. Yeah, that's a he's a shorter Tim Whitworth. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> he I would. He's got a pretty quick. He's got a quicker release. He can, he can release a little bit quicker. Definitely, definitely quicker release. Tim Whitworth's release just took forever. It looked pretty, but goddamn, yeah. you could you could count to ten. I, I know these are college guys, not NBA guys, but I would love to see incorporated into the offense the type of thing that Joel Embiid and J.J. Redick do where you have the big at the three-point line with the ball, setting a screen while passing the ball off to J.J. Redick, who gets around the screen and quickly shoots the three. That is something that I think is completely within Trevor John's skill set, and I don't know how Good you – how you start incorporating that into the offense. I, it, it seems like it's pretty straightforward. Um, it, you're just setting, <laughs> you're setting a screen and passing the ball and the guy either has the open shot or likely someone else is open elsewhere on the court to uh, for, for an even better shot. So I would like to see that be added yeah. to the mix to kind of change things up rather than the just nice. have him already have his, having his feet set to get yeah. the shot off. Good idea. Yeah. And I also th- on the same kind of idea, Marshall, I think we should try to utilize Alihan getting double teamed because he was getting double teamed pretty much the entire mm-hmm. um, William & Mary game and other games yep. uh, to get Trevor John open. Like, they should be on the same side. And if they bring that double team from down there, you just pop it back out to him on, on the open man. Or well, I'm pretty sure they weren't leaving Trevor John open even when they double teamed Alihan. They were leaving the he's other. He's not big always open. on the same side though. Like I don't know if you ever noticed it. He's not. He's not on the same side as Alihan sometimes. So he, he should be right. No, you gotta, I mean, make, you gotta make him guard Trevor John. Yeah, I mean you could have actually at this point you could have Troy Harper do the same thing. It could be him too. He's shooting. Troy Harper's playing great. Yeah, yeah I think we need to is. talk more about how, how well. I mean, everyone we're kind of hating some people were hating on him earlier in the year and he's adjusted yeah on he's who? a lot of confidence i don't know where we would be without troy harbor right now he's he's been it'd be terrible great i think I mean, always I... a dragon tweeted a like earlier today that since that start where he went over 13 uh from three he's been shooting 41 percent ever since yeah. yeah i mean i i did a breakdown before the uh william and mary game of like his first eight games versus his uh, last eight games and the first eight games, he was averaging like 11 points a game and he was shooting like 30% from the field and 6% from three. And then since then, the last eight games, not including William and Mary, he was shooting 40% from three, 47% from the field and averaging 21 a game. So, I mean, the kids completely turned it around and it's become like, I mean, he's playing at an all conference level. 
Yeah, and he and I love the energy too. Like he was always the guy that had the energy, and once he started play, like just making smarter decisions, playing with that kind of same uh, skill that matched the energy, he's 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 definitely an all all. He was always kind of playing hard. He just wasn't yeah. always playing smart. Now yeah, he's right. doing both. Yeah. Well, I think I, I think a couple things happened. Was one early in the year? Obviously, Kirk was in there. Not that that made him play worse, but it certainly made him play differently. Uh, and then after Kirk was out, he was playing more minutes immediately at point um, in relief of winter. And now we're seeing Métis more in that relief position. And yeah, uh, Troy, Troy really hasn't played point, point at all. So it's yeah. enabled him to be more selective with his shooting and be a, um, be a better shooter. I think most of the threes we see him take are, or at least a good amount of them are actually open threes off of a kick out. Um, yeah. And then obviously he's been tearing it up at dunks. I love seeing the, uh, home game recaps where he's setting up uh, when they're when they're on offense in uh, on our end of the court where we sit and he just elevates and you see all of us elevate along with him. No, I think that's Troy Harper's been the kind of uh, the bright th- bright side definitely on this season so far. Hopefully he continues to be. Uh, I think that's as positive a note as we can wrap up on. Any other final comments, guys? Going into the Next two games and College of Charleston over here and UNCW, both away games. Well, I'll say this. In our first couple of conference games, the biggest problem we have is defending um, guards who are really good, uh, really talented. And we had trouble with uh, Pusica and we had trouble with uh, Justin. Uh, Justin Wright Foreman. Yeah. And Riller coming in is probably going to kill us. I don't think we – They got the, they got the two – they got the, the big guy like with Brantley and they have Riller. It's going to be a tough yeah. matchup. It's going to be ugly, I think, with those two. I mean, we can we haven't proven we can slow down anybody who's that talented yet. Um, so uh, I see it as a, some trouble for us. Well, I'll be chatting with someone from the Charleston podcast and getting their thoughts on it. I'm terrified of what they're going to do to us in the post. Uh, they're coming off a loss to JMU, which may have hurt their at-large chances. So they're going to be pissed, and there's opportunity for them to really make it ugly. Welcome back to Dragon's Cast. I'm here with Tommy Glasgow. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Of course. Uh, Tommy Glasgow runs a podcast for Charleston Basketball. I uh, want to take a quick second to plug your, uh, plug your podcast. Yeah, yeah. So the podcast is called Holy City Hoops. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at holycityhoops.com. Uh, mainly Charleston basketball talk with a little CAA and some other mid-major talk thrown in there. Um, and we also run a blog as well. So uh, you can go check that out. Excellent. So speaking of CAA play with the conference schedule starting, you guys got off to a good start and then had a little bit of a stumble against JMU. Uh, what happened there? Yeah. Yeah. Those damn CAA road games can be tough, man. Um yeah, I've started with three road games, uh, Charleston did, which is always a tough order. Uh, we actually started 0-3 on the road in the CAA last season. So uh, any way you can get a CAA road win is, is a good way. Uh, so they picked up one at UNCW, uh, held on for a, a narrow victory there. Uh, had a pretty complete effort against Towson. And then that third game, I don't know if it was, you know, tired legs after a long road trip or just a lack of intensity or urgency, but JMU kind of kicked Charleston in the teeth early, jumped out to a big early lead. Um, Charleston had a 14-0 run to, to cut it to two or, you know, a one possession game there late, but 
credit to JMU, they kind of stormed back and, and retook the lead and Charleston fell uh, in their first CAA road game, but uh, two and one on the trip, you know, can't be, can't be too unhappy. Yeah. I, I think that Charleston is still the class of the CAA with Hofstra right on their heels, but uh, I wrote for always the dragon a piece last week about how I think Charleston had the best, we're really the CAA's only shot at an at-large bid. Uh, and when you and I were texting earlier, you said that that JMU loss uh, might take them out of the at-large. I actually think that if that's the only loss until a CAA championship game, you guys would still be right on that bubble. And then it's really just how the rest of the uh, at-large spots and other bubble teams play out. Yeah, yeah, we were a, a lot of the fan base was holding on to hope of a of an at-large chance. It's something that we haven't had the opportunity for in, in a long time, and you know, a win at VCU is, is pretty solid. Um, and then only two losses, one to a ranked LSU team, one on the road at Oklahoma state. Uh, so yeah, you're, you're thinking you're in a pretty good position at 13 and two. And then the JMU loss is a tough one. Um, you know, JMU didn't play any power five teams, uh, had lost five games in a row leading into that. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if they can, if Charleston can get through the rest of conference play unscathed and, and get all the way to the championship game, they probably still have a chance, but uh, that's a tough order in the CAA. Yeah. I think even, I mean, Charleston, in my opinion's toughest games are going to be against uh, Hofstra and Jefferson, Wright Foreman the rest of the way. Uh, For sure. that, that guy, he might be player of the year in the CAA. Um, if not Riller or Brantley, um, it's got to be those three, in my opinion, for the top spot. Um, but back before Charleston was even in the CAA, it was always the CAA got some respect and it continued to in terms of getting at larges, but it was still somewhat disrespected in, in outside of the CAA, not realizing how tough the conference was uh, top to even bottom outside of like the worst possible team in the CAA, which was that 0 and 30 or 1 and 30,000 team a couple years ago when mm-hmm. Drexel actually had a chance for an at large. So Drexel fans certainly know the uh, the perils of being on that bubble and not winning the CAA. So the uh, the fact that you guys do have it in your backyard for one more year with this team does set you up nicely to at least get that auto bid. Yeah, it's it's ironic. Uh, when Charleston was in the SoCon, a lot of our fans would complain about uh, the tournament site being too close to, to teams. Uh, so the SoCon tried to sway Steph Curry into staying for another year by moving the the conference tournament to Charlotte. Um, Then it was moved to Chattanooga, where uh, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga plays. So our fan base is familiar with complaining about, you know, uh, biased tournament sites. So once the the CAA moved to North Charleston, we all kind of shut up and have been quiet about that ever since. But it, it is a nice luxury. Yeah, we, we had similar complaints with all the years that it was in Richmond benefiting VCU, obviously. Yeah. the uh, the In 2012, when we were the best team in the conference, rewarded with the number one seed and had to play at the quote-unquote neutral site in Richmond, it actually was even more of a home court advantage for VCU than if they had played it at the Siegel Center because they could get even more of their fans into the neutral yeah. site. So, uh, and. I, I won't get into why we should have still been in at large that year, but you mentioned the SoCon. Who was your biggest rival when you were in the SoCon? Uh, so probably Davidson. Um, when I was in school, that overlapped with Steph Curry being there, who kept 
Charleston out of the tournament for many years in a row. Um, you know, obviously he was a once in a generation type player, um, but we did beat him at least once uh, or twice uh, in the regular season at Davidson, as well as in the tournament. Um, we had a player named Andrew Gaudelock, uh who went on to play for the Lakers and the Rockets. Uh, he and Curry had a pretty, pretty nice rivalry for a couple of years. And that was probably the, the class of the SoCon at the time. Yeah. And so far in the CAA, obviously you guys won it last year. And like I mentioned, our favorites to win it again, seems like the CAA you've stepped up. I say you Charleston has stepped up uh, pretty nicely to compete at the quote unquote higher level. I feel like I've stepped up as well. I've yeah, stepped up my fan- <laughs> uh, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the biggest difference I've seen going from the SOCON to the CAA is just bigger guards, more athletic forwards, a uh, lot more physicality, a lot bigger bodies, just banging in the paint. So, um, yeah, I think Coach Grant's first recruiting class kind of um, was built for a CAA team. That's when he nabbed Brantley, Riller, and Marquise Pointer. Uh, so those guys are kind of more quintessential CAA type players. And, you know, when you step up in conference, you get that bigger geographic footprint. So maybe you pull some guys from the Northeast or, you know, the mid Atlantic, uh, because they'll have a chance to play in front of, you know, friends and family as well. So uh, it's definitely been a smart move for our basketball program. And I think for athletics as a whole. Yeah. And it seems as well, the we go down to Charleston every year, me and the other Dragons cast guys and a decent amount of Drexel fans. It's a little bit further of a trip than when it was in Richmond and uh, definitely further than when it was in Baltimore. But we still get a good showing down there. But it's definitely a different city than what we have to compete with up in Philadelphia. Uh, kind of more of the small, nice southern town feel to it. Well, despite being a city, what does uh, what does that do for a program like Charleston, in your opinion? Yeah, it's uh, it's nice. It's it's good to, you know, recruit some kids from Atlanta or the Carolinas, which are both, you know, strong hotbeds for, for high school basketball talent. And, you know, even getting further out, you know, to say that Charleston's won seemingly every award possible for best cities to live or best cities to visit. Um, you know, I think that's valuable. And when you can bring a kid down on a recruiting trip, take him to the beach, take him downtown, uh, walk to everything that there is to do. Uh, it's pretty nice. So I, I think that's a, a definitely a benefit and one that coach Grant is, is trying to leverage more and more. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you when we go down there, I think it was last year. Yeah. Last year we stayed right off King street and that, I mean, obviously you're selling 18, rec- 18 year olds when they're being recruited, but by the time they're upperclassmen, King street seems like it would be a fun place for a college student. Yeah. Yeah. King street's kind of the, the main artery of Charleston there and definitely a place that's always got something going on. So it's, uh, it's, it's nice to have that. Nice. Well, so we play each other on Thursday down in Charleston. Um, it's going to be a battle from our perspective. We, uh, we haven't started the year off too great at Drexel. We're one in three on the season now. Um, the, I I've been saying for a while that, my biggest fear in the CAA is teams that have a big who can seemingly score at will. So Charleston, UNCW with Kaycock are, are both challenges for us. But you guys also with Riller, that's been our other heel, uh, Achilles heel, is matching up against guards who get a first step on our defense and then not having a big to help with uh, 
uh, rim defense is uh, is definitely a challenge for the Dragons. So it seems like you guys are primed, especially coming off a loss, to have potentially a big game. You would hope so. You would hope so. I mean, uh, I hope Charleston comes in kind of focused. Um, what we would not want to see would is just, you know, the guys think because they're at home and because they're playing Drexel that they're just going to skate by with a victory. That seemed to be the issue at JMU was just, hey, we're going to roll over these guys, no big deal. And it, it came back to bite them. So um, Jarrell and Grant are definitely, you know, guys who can put on a show, especially at home. But we saw against JMU and even a little bit against Towson, you know, you limit those guys and the offense for CFC really starts to get bogged down. There's not, not too many scores um, outside of those two. So if you can limit them, you're in a really good position. Was there something that you noticed when JMU uh, beat you guys that they did that was able to limit those guys? Yeah. One-on-one against Brantley, um, you know, uh, Darius Banks was matched up against him and was blocking a shot, kind of eating his lunch a little bit. Um, and Grant Riller really struggles against guys who can protect the rim. So if you have somebody, I remember Austin Williams gave him a tough time. Uh, so if you can, even if he gets past you, if you have somebody who can block a shot, we saw that against lengthier teams like LSU and Oklahoma State, where, you know, even if you get beat, you can still recover and, and block a shot at the rim. Uh, he's really going to struggle against teams like that. Gotcha. Well, unfortunately, especially with the fact that uh, Tim Perry Jr. didn't play for us, we're, we're down a man uh, in, the, uh, in the bigs, and then we also potentially are going to be down our best scorer, Troy Harper, who went down with an injury at right. the end of the William & Mary game. Uh, hopefully it's not too serious. We haven't heard anything either way. Um, it what's seems what's like the it- latest with my guy, Kirk Lee? Kirkley, that's the question that every Drexel fan okay. wants to know. Um, he's obviously uh, a junior at this point. It would be nice to have that experience back. He probably wouldn't be um, the guy that we'd need to help us with our uh, defense, uh, which is, like I said, been the problem there. Uh, that's where losing Zach Walton earlier in the year has really hurt us. He's a bigger guy who can help with the defense um but yeah the the question of where he is is still kind of a mystery um the the coaching staff has mentioned that he's practicing he's been dressed so you would think he's close but we've been thinking that for a couple weeks now right he's probably one of my three favorite non-charleston players in the caa i just love undersized point guards especially really yeah yeah i I mean i've I've watched kirk lee since his freshman year uh, I like his game. Yeah. Who are your other two outside of Charleston? Uh, I guess from just uh, respecting their game, Kaycock, Pusika, and Justin Wright Foreman. Uh, other than those two, I don't know, just my personal favorites. I really like Eli Pemberton from Hofstra. And the third, I'll say uh, Tyler Sebring from Elon. Uh, he's, he's been consistent all four years at, at Elon, so I like him a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'll say with Kirk being out for us this year, it really has been the emergence of Cam Winter, our freshman point guard. He's been great. Yeah, he he really has. It's um, it's one of the things that we're hanging hope on. I think most Drexel fans, our goal for this year was to be outside of the play-in game in Charleston this year. And obviously we didn't start great. Two of the teams that are of our three losses uh, are against – who are expected to be top 
three teams in the conference. So not too worried yet. Obviously, if Troy is injured, that kind of sinks those goals a bit. But um, with um, if we do manage this year to get out of the play-in game, and then with Cam Winter being kind of the point guard of the future, because he'll have three more years beyond this year, plus our recruiting class next year, that's where I think a lot of the uh, Drexel hope lies uh, going forward. I don't think any of us have. Uh, obviously, we hope for CAA tournament wins, but it's not looking realistic this year, uh, given the, the top of the conference, what it is. Well, he might be rookie of the year, right? I mean, there's some guys at Delaware and William & Mary, but he seems to, to put up the numbers to put him right in there, right? Yeah, if he keeps it going, obviously he plays a lot of minutes, and that's what you worry about with a freshman is mm-hmm. either those minutes taking a toll, and I'm not going to even mention the words that I was about to mention because <laughs> um, we are jinxed and it's a don't program it. in that regard. So I'm not going to say that. But, yeah, if he keeps playing at the level that he's been playing, I don't see how he wouldn't be CAA Rookie of the Year. Nice, yeah. Yeah, he's been really good. So speaking of next year, I think one of the things that is somewhat expected if Charleston does make it back to the tournament, and especially if they win a game or two once there, is you guys might be looking for a new coach next year. Um, From my outsider perspective, it seems, though, that outside of the tournament moving from Charleston next year, the program itself is kind of poised to be that perennial program that's able to turn over a coach and keep winning. You would hope so. Uh, we kind of had a revolving door of coaches in between Coach Cress and Coach Grant. And Grant, you know, checks all the boxes for us. Uh, he's from that uh, John Cress, Greg Marshall coaching tree um, from Charleston. His wife went to CFC. Uh, so lots of lots of good stuff from him. Uh, but, yeah, he, he seemingly on all those lists of, like, up-and-coming coaches or mid-major coaches that are going to get snagged. Uh, so I think the school is going to do everything in their power to, to keep him uh, and try to take the next step as as a program. Um, we just hope he sticks around. <laughs> has he done, outside of the, the winning, has he done a lot to bring uh, kind of a culture and community to, to Charleston basketball? I don't know much about uh, your home games, what the, what the atmosphere is like. I haven't been down there outside of the uh, CAA tournament. Yeah, yeah. So they've got 22 straight wins at home. He's sort of established, um, and I might have just jinxed that now, just for <laughs> Thursday. Uh, he, From my side, I hope you did. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he's he's built up TV Arena into a tough place to play. I think Charleston's right up there with UNCW every year in terms of attendance at home attendance, um, and he's pretty active in the community. Um, he's it, he walked into a total shit show when he arrived uh, and has kind of built it back up. Um, there's a lot of competing things for attention in Charleston, especially, I mean, you, you guys probably know this being up in Philly with other schools, other sports, other things to do in the city. You're not the only show in town, so it can be tough mm-hmm. to, to get people to, to come to the games and, and see the Cougars. But I think slowly, but surely he's kind of built back up that, that fan interest and, and last year definitely helped. You, you mentioned on one of your previous podcasts, you gave a shout out to the DAC pack uh, in for, for Drexel. Is there a similar rowdy student section that uh, opposing fans have to worry about in the TD arena? Yeah, the students are back on campus now, so they, they should be at the game. Um, 
it's doesn't have a name. I think it used to be called the C of C, like S E A of C. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what they're calling it now. Um, the arena's only six or seven or eight or nine years old, so it hasn't really established um, a real raucous student section. The students show up, and they're usually pretty loud if things are going well. Um, but I would say if if you if Drexel starts doing things early in the game and, and kind of gets Charleston on their back heels, uh, the fans might, might get a little bit quiet, but you know, when they're in the game, uh, they can be, they can be pretty rowdy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we, uh, we're facing kind of a similar thing. The, uh, the student section for us, uh, for our home games has been down for a couple years, but, uh, we're working with them to, uh, build it back up. And you've even seen for games over the course of this season, the increase in the number of standing students wearing yellow shirts has grown. And even the kids who are sitting when the game is close at the end of the game, as long as they're there, they're able to be kind of convinced to stand and get into it and give that advantage at the end. And it's had mixed results in terms of outcome, but it's nice to see uh, what was the case when I was in school and for a couple of years after and a couple of years before is, uh, is making a comeback. Yeah. I mean, when you're a basketball school, um, and there's no football to compete against, uh, you know, there's no reason for the students not to be at home basketball games. That's, you know, always been my opinion. And, uh, as long as the the product on the floor is, you know, a team that's going to give it their all and, you know, establish uh, a brand of basketball and a style of play, I, I think, you know, the students have to be there and, and have to be loud. Yeah. So for Thursday, do you have a final score prediction? Well, it, it's probably probably going to be a lower scoring game. Um, you know, Charleston does like to slow the pace down. Um, I would say it's probably going to be in the 60s. Um, Charleston tends to, to score high 60s, low 70s at home. So maybe we'll say 72, 65, something like that. Um, but I could see it being even lower than that. Um, you know, I'm definitely interested to see who matches up against winter. Um, you know, we've got some younger guys on the team in the starting lineup or, or playing big minutes as well. Um, so I, I'm going to be watching, you know, him versus Zepp Jasper or Brevin Galloway, um, as well as, you know, whoever checks Riller and Brantley. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I would take a game. Obviously I want to win, but if you told me 72, 65, whatever the score was leading up to that with four minutes left, and it's probably in the balance, I would absolutely take that uh, coming <laughs> into the game. Because uh, for me, it, it all comes down to uh, whether or not Troy and Tim Perry Jr. are playing. If both of those guys are out, then I don't see it being very competitive. If both of them are in there, then I'll give us a chance. But I still think it'll be a Charleston win. The, the way we play is not very conducive to blowing out teams. Um, we're not a very good three-point shooting team at all. Uh, we shot one for 12 against Towson and I think even worse against JMU in that loss. So it's not like we're putting up a ton of points on the board. Uh, we do get to the line a lot. Um, but again, that's not really going to, you're not going to see a lot of blowouts, um, just kind of a more methodical uh, type of game. Gotcha. Yeah. That sounds a lot like our, uh, our old days of Bruiser Flint and the CAA games yeah. regularly being in the sixties. Uh, and I think you even mentioned that, uh, in the that episode where you were talking about uh, the CA before conference play started about how they were rock fights back then. 
Yeah, I think there was a there was a bruiser game in Charleston. I, I remember it was on Valentine's Day, and I think the final score was in the 40s. Uh, so it was like a classic CAA rock fight. Yeah, that sounds about right for bruiser. <laughs> Cool. Well, Tommy Glasgow, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to check out his podcast and blog, it's Holy City Hoops. You can follow them on Twitter at Holy City Hoops. Uh, any last minute things you want to add? No, uh, I think you said it. Uh, anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, it's at King underscore Cress. Uh, that was the name of my original blog when I started it. I still have that as, as my username. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, love what you guys are doing. It's encouraging for me to know that there's others who devote so much time and emotion to mid-major college basketball. So appreciate what you guys are doing and, and thanks for having me. Yeah. Glad to, glad to have you on. And, uh, you mentioned you're actually in DC, so you might come up when, uh, Charleston plays at Drexel. If you do definitely let us know and maybe we can, uh, record again. Will do. Yeah. I think, I think that game's on a Saturday, so I'm going to try to make it up for it. Excellent. Cool. And with that, uh, we'll wrap it up.